What's up, everybody? We're going to have a great podcast for you today. We're going to be talking about the topic of heresies. We're going to unpack some of the greatest and well-known and some lesser-known heresies and the implications of what they mean to our faith today and how they're actually, many of them, still active today. It's going to be pretty cool, so sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. What's going on, All Out Warriors? Welcome to another episode of All Out War. I am Turner, and I'm joining the studio with my brother, Rosie. What's up, Rosie? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Hey, man, I'm doing great. We have something that we've never done before <laughs> today. We have a live audience in our studio. We have uh, two listeners that decided to stop by and hang out with us tonight. So uh, I'm fairly intimidated, just <laughs> saying. <laughs> you have nothing to fear. I know. Once you get in the groove, it's going to be great. But so if you hear laughter, which we hope happens a little bit tonight, <laughs> uh, there it is. Yeah. So we have our guests uh, that are just hanging out with us. And for a mild fee, anyone else who would like to come and listen when we record, we can make that happen. Uh, it's a special option for our Patreon, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the live audience, which we don't have a Patreon yet. I wish we did. But uh, speaking of audience, um, I did want to say that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like the geek on the stats for what our podcast is, how it's underperforming. Uh, <laughs> we had uh, a new listener from two different nations that we had never had before. One was from Greece and one was from Canada. We had a couple others also. So, uh, But we had six in Spain. Santander, Spain is the name of the town. And so whoever is in Santander, Spain, I appreciate you listening and I hope you keep listening and pass the word on and see amigo. Right, they speak Spanish. Yeah, yeah actually, it's Gihon, G I J O N. Yeah, Gihon. How'd you mess that up? Well, there was a Santander, Spain, as well. Oh, okay. And there's Cabo Frio, Brazil. Oh, they speak Portuguese in Brazil. Okay, well, hola. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I took Spanish in, at Nova, and uh, I was going on a missions trip, and so I wanted to take Spanish. So I took it, and my teacher spoke French. Portuguese, Spanish, Latin, English, and uh, did I say Spanish? Yeah. Yeah. She, and then I think she had German as well. Oh. But like Latin and Portuguese and Spanish and French, they're all Latin descent words, Latin yeah. languages, so it was easier for her. Yeah. I yeah. took German for like nine years. Guten Tag. Yeah, I can't really speak it. Uh, all I know is when I'm standing in line at Bush Gardens and at the uh, at the Verbolten, where it's uh, the, the lady talking... Keep your hands and your feet in the car at all times. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> That's what she does. The whole t- <laughs> it's pretty funny. I guess you had to be there. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> it was funnier to me. Yeah. Anyways. All right, what do you know, man? Oh, hey. Um, just a- So did you know that in uh, the 1990s, the Marine Corps tested a uh, special urban fighting unit? And one of the things that they did was test out tactical skateboards. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it was after the Battle of Mogadishu, they were like, oh, we need to start focusing on urban fighting. Yeah. And so they started testing out in like American cities, different ways. They had their own like camouflage and everything like that. But it was going to be like a urban, like in city warfare. It seems like a skateboard would be like they're hazardous. Like, I skateboarded for a long time. It, it seems like to put, like, a 60-pound pack on and then a gun, all you need is, like, one small pebble. Yeah, well... Like, like it, a faceplant. 
Yeah, I guess so. It said uh, <laughs> the Marines used store-bought off-the-shelf skateboards um, to detect tripwires in buildings and draw sniper fire, oh. among other uses. Um, and they so, said what they took away was that com- with combat skateboards is that standard need elbow pads were useless for American troops fighting in urban centers. Yeah, I'd say so. And specialized ones would have to be obtained. Probably because they all fall and get hurt. I know, man. They, <laughs> they're useless because they're face planning. Yeah. We need helmets, full full face helmets. So. Yeah. But there I, you go. Yeah. So they had skateboarding Marines. I wonder it's how. It's kind of a cool like image, I think. Yeah. Skateboarding around like, what's up, dude? <laughs> Radical. <laughs> what if they put laser beams on them? That'd be cool. On the, on the uh, skateboards. But yeah. You got to get. You got to. High to, tech. To fight the radicals, you got to get. Totally radicals, bro. <laughs> oh, jeez. Hang 10. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, speaking of go. radical, man, I found a news article that I think you'll be interested in. Uh, we, and we probably need to do another episode on this at some point. Um, so you know how we always are kind of talking about AI and transhumanism and all that stuff. Yeah. So an article came out in a Japanese newspaper. It's called the Asia and Japan Watch, and I'll, I'll try and pronounce it. It's the... A Sahai Shimbun. <laughs> News- That's probably really good. It's newspaper. All of my, all our listeners in Japan just turned it off. But uh, uh, skin deep microchip paves the way for transhumanism. Uh, it was this was released on March 14th, and uh, it says it says the microchip would be inserted under the skin are, that are currently limited to such tasks as opening doors and paying for small items like drinks. However, uh, Yorichio Okamoto. A professor of philosophy, take note of that, at uh, Tamagawa <laughs> University, who is well-versed in the ideological backgrounds of science and technology, says that the implants are just the beginning of transhumanism, the theory that science can allow humans to evolve beyond their current physical and mental limitations. Uh, it goes on to say that humans are moving in a directions t- direction toward mutating into cyborgs. Uh, to acquire capabilities beyond the normal limits. Okamoto said that images of a new way of human life, many people that are in high-tech industries and youth in Europe and the United States have implanted microchips under their skin already. I don't know of anybody that's done it here, but I have heard about it in like Switzerland or Sweden and stuff. There's a there's a company in, uh, I think it was Wisconsin, that said that they had to get all their uh, employees microchips so they could get paid it was oh, like to scan really? in and out to to get help. paid. Yeah, for like t- to time card fraud. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I wonder if they had an option for like a bracelet or something that you could wear instead. Maybe. Um, I don't know. He goes on. It says uh, Toshaki Hama Hamaichi, the president of Utafuku. <laughs> I'm not, that's the word Utafuku Labs. Oh, that's just funny. Hey, good thing we're explicit. Um, <laughs> it says he held his hand near the entrance door of his IT company in Osaka, and it automatically opened. Uh, it's incredibly handy for not carrying a key around, said Hamahachi. Uh, he had the microchip one centimeter long, about two, two millimeters in diameter, inserted into the back of his hand between his thumb and his index finger last year. US, the U.S. made capsule, there you go, mm-hmm. uh, encased a chip which he bought online, it unlocks the door through wireless communication. Uh, the device is installed beside the door. Um, and then check this out. It says that um, last year, 
Japan Transhumanism Association, a general incorporated group that aims to promote transhumanism in Japan, used Twitter to solicit volunteers for free chip implants. They had more than 20,000 people respond. Uh, currently, they're activating 20, 20 chips um, for this procedure. About 5,000 people have already applied in the Tokyo-based association's uh, latest recruitments. But I'm going to close with this. It just says, I think this is another guy, uh, Hamakichi. He, he says that he expects the, the openness to, to this to uh, drastically improve in the next five years. And he says, I think embedded microchips could be used for a great variety of purposes, and it will be, a common, it will be common to use them for electronic payments. Yeah. Um, he also said that the philosophical feature in Japan could hinder the future advances of technology. Listen to this. It says, microchips will likely eventually be inserted into human brains to expand their capabilities. However, such a move may not be accepted in Japan because of Confucianism values. Uh, so Confucian, um, it's the main religion over there, I suppose, yeah, or ideology. And he said, uh, he says that you, uh, the, that states that you must, uh, that you must not harm your body given to you by your parents. So he's basically saying that because of an ideology, there's going to be uh, opposition, and it's actually a philosophical ideology more than a religious one. Yeah. But I can imagine that, you know, for me, it's going to be a religious situation. Like I'm going to call that exempt all day long. You're not putting anything inside of me that I don't, you know, readily need. Yeah. Um, but then uh, there's another company called Biohacks International. It's a Swedish company, and they develop chips that they said have, have embedded into the hands of more than 4,000 people. And the company also holds events uh, for microchip implants, so they can, like, check on people's health and see what their... It's probably like a big party. Yeah. It, yeah, it's like South by... What is it? South, South by Southwest. South, yeah, South yeah. by Southwest. But for chips, um, uh, it says... At a facility in Stockholm that supports startups in December, staff member Hans Hans Schjobald. It's S J O B A L D. So I don't what, the J no, just gets it. thrown in there. Yeah. It says uh, he held out his smartphone over his hand, and, and the embedded microchip emitted a white glow on his skin. Uh, he received his first microchip implant four years ago, and he had two friends uh, set up a startup to develop these microchips. He himse himself he recently re replaced. This is crazy. Uh, he replaced his original one with an, a newer embedded chip prototype that has a highly developed microchip. And he says, this is what he says, I want to upgrade, personally, I want an upgrade. Not just the chip, but like his, ho his whole humanity. Yeah. He says, human is a good start, but we can improve a lot. I'm like, what? So uh, this came out on Friday. So it's obvious that there's going to be some a real push for... Uh, these this whole idea of uh you know transhumanism and it's probably going to start with convenience things like paying for a soda or you know like i use my apple pay all the time on my phone yeah like literally as much as possible it, it drives my wife nuts because she always sees me pull out like today we went grocery shopping at giant i use apple pay boop you know and it just goes right away and uh it's you, what's crazy is as convenient as it is i still get that little knot in my stomach like it's not going to go through right <laughs> It's because I'm poor, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't really have anything to do with the, <laughs> with the technology. <laughs> yeah, it makes it actually it's so easy to use. It's a lot faster. It is a lot faster. Yeah. So I can see the, the it feels like they're priming our culture. 
for this stuff with convenience. And then what they're going to do is, and so this is my theory on it, and I could be completely wrong on this, but here's my theory. So they have centralized banks. So they have this control over the money. If they force us to have to use this, it's going to totally fulfill revelation about the buying and selling that's going to have to come through the one world government, the one currency. Yeah. So, um, and there was another thing I didn't read in the article, but a guy in, a guy implanted a microchip into his hand willingly. He says, I've willingly taken the mark of the beast. That's what he called <laughs> it. So that, and it, and it, uh, he uses it for cryptocurrency. Yeah. I was going to say, I think centralized banking is going to go away. You think it's going to go away? I After don't... a war. I mean, there's going to be a war. But crypto, World War Three, us yeah. in I mean, China. I I'm invested in uh, <laughs> certain cryptocurrencies for a while. Yeah. For years now that do RFID chip tagging. So, if I could find out whatever company, I'll, I'll totally give by. I'll profit off it. I don't care. I'll make <laughs> money. But then you won't be able to access it because you won't have the chip. It's okay. I'll just move it. What if I did like a? What if I cut off my arms? And I did prosthetic limbs, and they, they implanted it into that. And carry it's around. not technically in me. What if that's the way around? What if, Cut what off if our legs? amputee? Well, but but dude, they're getting so amazing with prosthetics now. It's like a real limb. Well, that would be still transhumanism because you're replacing and upgrading your leg or your. Yeah, arm. but it's different than that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm trying to find a way to look. I got a family to feed, bro. Yeah. When this hose down, well, the, I can't grow corn. They have all that thing with the. This makes me think of like trans ableism and stuff like that, where people. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's a term, but people think that they're born like. You read about this uh, not often, but they. Uh, like people are like, I think I was made. I was supposed to be born blind. Oh, so they oh. go to doctors and have like acid poured in their eyes. Yeah, it's just dumb. Yeah, they were born dumb, is what they were. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's just idiotic. Yeah, but that's... And then they immediately regret it. Right. Although, as they now bump you're getting... into the walls or walking out. Yeah, man, but that's, you know, that's how they're supposed to be made. Man. And who are you to judge them? Because you just literally talked about cutting off your arm. I did. So, for survival. For su- okay. Not for sympathy of some weird, bizarre <laughs> fetish or whatever that is. I don't even it know. It is a fetish. It is a weird fetish, yeah. yeah. Call it what it is. All right, so you want to get on our topic t- <laughs> okay. <laughs> topic tonight. So we're going to start a new pseudo-series. Yeah, we, maybe. I mean, it could be multiple series. So you and I have been talking about a few different topics, and one of them that kept kind of coming back around just uh, just in conversation was the topic of heresies. And it kind of flows with our cults and our, you know, the other things that we have been, even in times a little bit. But what's amazing to me is with heresies, literally – when you begin to read through the New Testament, immediately following the Gospels, you get into the book of Romans, and you start to see an outline of a pattern of doctrines being laid in place because heresies were creeping into the church almost immediately. And, uh, and so um, you see a, a real a, approach from John in particular, or I mean, uh, Paul in particular, where he's, uh, he's trying to, uh, when, he, when he's writing these like the book of Colossians, the book of Galatians, even the book of Ephesians at some level, when he's writing these, he's trying to counteract common heresies that were creeping into the church. Yeah. And so... Um, I was going to say, it, it is. it does kind of blow my mind when I think about the those first century Jews when they're dealing with all this stuff and like Paul not single-handedly laying it down, but yeah. he, it's, he, he seems like he's the biggest one that wrote it down, maybe. 
yeah that wrote down like this is what we believe and it's crazy i mean this is all based on uh well not him but because he, he wasn't with jesus but the people the disciples that were yeah literally talking i mean because they had conversations that weren't in the bible you not know that weren't recorded because they hung out for years and there's not years worth of talking so they obviously got you know all these answers and stuff like that about essential doctrine from jesus himself yeah not which, only that but like uh you got to remember that they didn't even have the first recorded well the gospels weren't the earliest that we think they had is about 68 69 years after the resurrection right so figure he died 33 ad so around 90 you're going to get the 90 93 ad you're going to get the first kind of re- like handed around gospel right and then the letters of paul would have been in the, within the next 10 years so 90 to 110 which know, is crazy to think about 100 that, years yeah that yeah that it was just word of mouth being spread and so that's how you can it's easy to think um you know uh cuz there's a couple of these I'll, I'll say it like this there's a couple of these and I li- was listening to a Bible historian talk about heresies, I don't know, a couple months ago. And a lot of them, uh, he said, weren't necessarily done with like evil intent. Like, oh, we're going to corrupt mm-hmm. like the Bible. It's there's some group of people that get this doctrine, uh, one tenet of the, ascent- the doctrine, orthodoxy. And they're like, but how do we explain it? Or how do we rationalize um, so that we can talk about it with people? When people ask us, well, what do you mean? But when you say, yeah, you know, God is 100% man, 100% divine, but he's one person. He's not two different beings occupying the same thing. So they come up with stuff, you know, trying to rationalize it. And some of it ends up being heresy. But it's not like, so I just want to preface it that it's not all like... (laughs) evil there's some of it was you know right. trying to malicious corrupt but yeah. some of it they just literally it was actually like, we don't we, yeah we don't know we don't know we're yeah. trying to come up with an an answer that we think is biblical yeah and and it was the uh a lot of our um your your counsels that we have you know early on were the necessity of those counsels were to weed out and to sort out some of these ideas yeah you know the trinity or the divine nature of christ or uh, you know, the virgin birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of these things were, they were sorting these things out as time was going. But still, through. even the, when was the first council? It was like in the... That's a great question. Still, like, the, you know, a couple decades after, definitely after Paul. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're talking it, there are, 1200s, you know, probably, I mean, well, there's a there might have been in, like a 900. Let me let me just Google I think it. there's some in the, keep the 200s and stuff. And it, there, anyways. yeah. Well, but, yes. it depends on if you're talking about the councils of the Catholic Church. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I'm just Googling. 325 AD was the first council of Nicaea. Okay, yeah. I knew that, but I don't know why I forgot it. But yeah, but I did still, you're that. talking... Three, 200, 200 and, yeah, yeah. years after. So, so that's why... 100 years after the writings of Paul, they would have come out, you know, like that. Because he was at 90 to 100... Right, the Gospels came out around sixty AD, right? Sixty nine. Mm-hmm. He came out another twenty to thirty years later. And then the year three hundred—that's right. two hundred years. Two, I'm sorry, two hundred years. <laughs> Good math. I do math. <laughs> hey, look, I know other stuff. Math isn't my uh, well. Hopefully, you do. <laughs> All right. So I'm anyways, probably going to be declared a heretic by the end of probably. this podcast. But, okay. So you want to go over a couple of your 
Favorite, okay. Uh, I mean, I you, you you did a ton of research, so. Yeah. Okay. So we're just going to go through them and hopefully give a bunch of history. This is going to be, hopefully it'll be entertaining, maybe not the most entertaining, but <laughs> uh, but they're important to know because well, there's still stuff that you hear today. Yeah. You might be a heretic if you don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> so I have them in alphabetical order, but um, I'll just start with the first one. Adoptionism. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So the first known exponent of adoptionism was Theodotus of Byzantium in the second century. Um, So it is still propagated even now by like Bart Ehrman and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So basically... He's a Catholic. Yeah. Well, he was a a Catholic. So anyway... Is he dead now? Yeah. No, Bart Ehrman? Yeah, no, he, I don't think he, I think he's still alive. Anyway, according to this view, the absence of the birth of Jesus in the epithet, epi, the epithet, son of God, in some early manuscripts of Mark suggests a concept that the virgin birth of Jesus had not been developed um, at the time Mark was written. By the time the Gospels of Mark and Luke, and by the time the Gospels of Luke and Matthew were written, Jesus is identified as being the son of God from the birth, the time of birth, and then. Uh, so it says some scholars also believe adoptionist theology may be reflected in certain canonical epistles, such as, such as some of the early writings that predate the Gospels. Um, so basically, adoptionism is that Jesus was adopted. He wasn't born. Was as... he adopted by God the Father? Right. Okay, yeah. So... It... What I, the problems I have with this heresy is that it's using the Gospels to try and come to this conclusion. And anybody who studied the synoptics of the Gospels would understand that there's each Gospel had a purpose and an audience. And so when you think about Matthew's Gospel, it was primarily directed towards the Jewish audience. So Matthew would probably... Let me, let me just clarify. Yeah. Because I don't... I think I read over... Yes. What actually adoptionism is. So I apologize for this. <laughs> so it's the it's a non-trinitarian theological doctrine that holds that Jesus was adopted as the son of God at his baptism, his resurrection, or his ascension. All right. So he eventually so became this he right. became so, God when when at some point in his life. There you go. Yeah. So and the, but what you were saying there about Mark cuz Mark doesn't specifically call him the son of God. It doesn't mention that in Mark's gospel. But when you understand who Mark's audience was written to that that is that matters, but when you get to John's gospel, John says he's literally the Word of God made flesh. He is, which would be literally it, it's calling him God. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you have this declaration in one part of Scripture, but it it omits it in another part of Scripture because of largely because of the audience that it was directed to. So I can understand why this would be an early. Uh, theological heresy because maybe they didn't have all four of the gospels together maybe they only had mark's gospel mark's is actually the earliest gospel so it made its way around before the other gospels made its way around um and mark's was the most thoroughly written because it was you know mark himself you know mark most people don't know this mark's gospel was peter's account of jesus but mark wrote it mark was a stenographer that's John Mark, the same Mark. It was his. Uh, it was uh, his 
nephew, I believe, mm-hmm. um, or Barnabas's nephew, one of those two. He has some kind of relation to him. In Acts, they get in a big fight in Acts 16. They part ways because John Mark here, the guy who wrote Mark's gospel, he didn't want to continue on with this dangerous mission that Paul was on, and Paul thought he was unworthy. <laughs> and then later on, he welcomes him back in. Yeah. But um, but Mark's gospel was the first to be spread around, and it makes sense because Mark was a stenographer, so he was a professional trained writer. Which was a big deal back then. Huge deal. Most, a majority of your culture could not even write or read. That's why the oral traditions were so important. And this is where people get squeamish about the Gospels and about the Bible in general, because they're like, man, how can we trust then what was said? Well, the way we can trust is the same way we do almost everything else. When there's verified copies that are discovered that are older than the copies you have, you know you have a reliable text. Right, when those copies all have the same thing. Yeah, when yeah. they match up. And there's specific way, and we could do a whole podcast on this, you know, on like that uh, another time. It's mm-hmm. a deep subject, but there's specific ways that they landmark different copies of the Gospels and of the of the writings to identify, oh yeah, that's exactly, that's a codex, that works with this. There's certain Hebrew writing styles that actually the Hebrew letters have a numeric value they can add up the values, and this is where we get that phrase, it doesn't all add up. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever heard that phrase, and yeah. that's where that comes from. So some of these practices will help. We're, we're not even really developed until later on, but it bothers me that a guy like Bart Ehrman is still clinging to something like this. Well, he, he's a raging anti-Christian. Oh, he is? Yeah. For some reason, I was thinking he was a believer. I think he was. Like, he studied, I think, at Moody. Oh, really? And then he, like, came out. That's disappointing, because Moody's a good school. Yeah. Man. So, yeah, the adoption. So here's the other thing that bothers me about this. And we t- this is so great, because if you haven't heard our pod- podcast from last week, you need to go back and listen to it. It's, what is it, 31? What are we on now? I don't <laughs> 32. know. Something like that. Lou, Lou Wing, Dr. Lou Wing. We actually had a, a section in there, and this is where the this is where we lost signal, and the sat- Satan started to attack us. It was crazy. By the way, I need to mention this. We tried to record that a week earlier, but I got really sick. Yeah. And it was literally like, on the day, it, like an hour before we were supposed to record and he was going to call us. I got like violently ill and it just, and there was no reason for it. Mm-hmm. We couldn't figure out what, what caused it. Like we still don't know what it was that did it, but I was literally destroyed. Yeah. And then while we had him on the phone and we start talking about this particular topic that we're talking about right now. He kept losing signal. He dropped out. He had to call. We had to call each other back, get him back on the line. You can hear that we kind of we kind of go over that on the podcast. But go listen to that podcast because he talks about something very specific about the the egg and the sperm and this whole zygote and how Jesus, because of the epigenetics, the genetics epigenetics come through the actual seed or the sperm. The sperm came. Sounds weird. The sperm came from God, the Father. He was the one that supplied the life. And the way that uh, that put together was meant that it was fully God and fully man. The humanity side of him was the actual bone and flesh and blood and all of the stuff that made him a human being. Yeah, well, I was going to say we can talk more on that with some other heresies, but yeah. Yeah, but oh, it's good to set it up, though. Yeah, yeah. Because that's important because he didn't gradually become the Son of God. And this is actually a heresy that the Mormons have kind of adopted in as well because they believe that in based on your good works and the way that you are and there's even uh, evangelical wesleyan 
sanctification heresies hmm. where they believe that a person can become 100% completely sanctified <laughs> on earth and you know before they reach heaven now it's a both and you 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 are both sanctified in the future but you're and you're sanctif- being sanctified today when god looks at us we're justified sanctified in other words all of our sins are washed away so we're seen as perfection in the eyes of god because of christ right it's he's looking through the lens of the blood of christ but on earth, on route to heaven, we're being sanctified. So God's working out these things in our lives. You can't, Jesus didn't have the sanctification process. Mm. He was tempted like we get tempted. And Hebrew says, but he was found without sin. So there's no way that he became the son of God. And there is a couple of verses where I could see why they would get confused by that. Uh, the Mormons use that as well. Um, you know, but it's just... There's not enough supporting text. You can't take one single text out of, out of, you know, um, right context. Yeah, and the incarnation itself is miraculous. Right, that only God could do this. So, <laughs> what's he? How could he be? How could it be a miraculous, a miraculous incarnation, the birth, mm-hmm. the the inception, but yet then he became God. Right, it just doesn't add up. Yeah. Hey, there's my phrase. There you go. <laughs> so. Okay. So got any other heresies that I can debunk? I do. Okay, cool. How about uh, Apollinarianism? Completely a heresy. (laughs) Next, no. Yeah. Uh, So Apollinarian, Apoll. I'm sorry. There's a lot of like vowels. (laughs) Apollinarianism. Apollinarianism was a heresy taught by Apollinarius the Younger, Bishop of Lacedonia in Syria. Laodicea. Laodicea. I'm sorry. Around 361. (laughs) At, at the time when the doctrine of the Trinity was being established as an, in an official sense, he taught that the Logos of God, which became the divine nature of Christ, took the place of a rational human soul of Jesus, mm. and that the body of Christ was a glorified form of human nature. In other words, though Jesus was man, was a man, he did not have a human mind, but in that mind of Christ he was, was solely divine. Um, Apollinarius taught that the... Two natures of Christ could not coexist within one person. So his solution was to lessen the human nature of Christ. He taught that sin resided in the spirit of man, and if Jesus was both God and man, then he would have sinned. Hmm. Therefore, he denied the orthodox doctrine of the hypostatic union, which states that uh, there's, you know, the, the single person of Christ, he's both human and divine. Um. So Apollinarius believed that Jesus had a human body and soul, but Jesus' mind was replaced by the Logos. Um, He pictured Christ as a middle ground between God and man, just as a mule is the middle ground between a horse and a donkey, or gray is the middle ground between black and white. The resulting blend of divine and human, according to Apollinarianism, was never fully divine nor fully human. Hmm. So, there you go. So... This is a pretty early heresy. It was 361. Um, I was trying to figure out when the book of Hebrews was written because the book of Hebrews just destroys this entire heresy. Uh, first of all, we know that the body of Christ, that we ha- it's his body and his blood that became the superior sacrifice. So the blood, as we're told, of lambs and goats is not sufficient, but we needed a righteous sacrifice that was without sin. And, and here's the thing about what people get confused about sacrifice with. 
Sacrifice is the transference of sin onto something else. So what they used to do is they used to have the high priest lay his hands on the forehead of this goat, and it's they would call it the scapegoat. And it would be a transference of sin onto this goat, and they would set it free out into the wilderness. And then they would sacrifice another one. Hmm. And so one that hadn't, they didn't lay their hands on the one. They only laid their hands on the one that got free. And all of that is symbolic of the nature of grace, because my sin being placed on someone who didn't deserve it, I get set free. I get set free. But the one who's innocent goes, so it's all pointing, all of this, this, it's all symbolic and pointing to Jesus. Now, Hebrews kind of unpacks a lot of that for us, but at the same time, you have to understand that when Jesus' body was given, it had to be a physical body. Mm-hmm. And it says, um, I think it's in, it's either Colossians or, or Galatians. I'll have to look for it. Is but it, it in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form? That That's one, yes. Yeah. But I'm talking about entering in through the body of his, his the curtain. Oh, right. You know, the curtain of his body. It's like base, essentially it's saying that because the old, the temple in the temple the veil was torn now we enter in through the the, the veil of his body um, and so there had to be a physical death there had to be a physical resurrection there had to be a physical life to exchange there wasn't it wasn't a symbolic goat in a symbolic lamb it was a goat in a lamb and so God provided a lamb of sacrifice for himself to appease the sins of mankind right and so this is like one of those ones that you might not think too much about saying um you know but uh, like what you're i guess when you say it like this the if you take away or take that this heretical view it totally diminishes what jesus did yeah so that's why this is like super important yes to be fleshed out there you go yeah and i <laughs> fleshed out there you go and i could see why it'd be kind of confusing um we want to you have to understand too, like in this time frame in our, the what were the dominant cultures? You had the Greek mindset of all this polytheistic gods. Mm-hmm. You had the the mysticism of Kabbalah and these Kabbalistic uh, Hebrew religions, and then you had Judaism, and then you have Christianity emerging out of that, the fulfillment of all of that. So there's a lot of just confusion in general. Yeah, and uh, we like to kind of like cut and dry it, like. But it was all kind of melding together, and then something was emerging out. And Christianity was what emerged out because it's the one single truth. Right. All the other stuff just kind of filtered down. But we still see the effects of all of that mindset in today. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how it's lasted for so long. Um, and you would think, I, I heard a stat today, 4% of a population, uh, if you get 4% of, of any population to understand a, a certain view mm-hmm. say it's like a like a stance on something uh you have successfully received enough to make it overtake the culture like in the general mindset hmm. so all you need is four percent uh once you get four percent of any culture to believe one thing then it, it's an unstoppable force at that point christianity has consistently held the lowest it's ever held is at four percent hmm. ever in in two thousand years now people are talking about it dropping off but i just don't see that happening i don't i don't see it dropping below four percent when the when you're talking about billions of people yeah you know what i mean i think it would take something like a rapture right 
No, seriously. To, yeah. to drop below to, four. To, yeah. Yeah. To have it eliminated from our culture. Although less and less people are believing in the Lord uh, because there we're, we have somewhat... Well, about, in, in America. I think in... Well, yeah. I, I mean, say, I think it, about Asia and Korea. Like Korea in particular is like huge revival and big mega churches in Korea. There's a very large... And the South underground South church South in China and all these places. Yeah. Yeah. That's... I, I would love to know. India's got some crazy stuff, but it's extremely dangerous. And then, of course, the middle, you know, you got the 1040 window with, you know, Saudi Arabia and all the, but, but in America, so we'll use America as, a, or Europe. Um, so it's a, what we're calling post-Christian. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so what's happening is they're saying f- less than 4% believe, but what it is, is we're at that threshold of 4% in our, where we are in our culture. Yeah. But worldwide, globally, no way. Yeah. Yeah. We're way above 4%. So that's why I, that's why I'm thinking about like this early heresy how it could be confusing to think because of the polytheism and all of the other the other pressing gods and religions and spiritual ideas and all of that stuff that would have been kind of coming against this truth the single truth of a, a single god you know yeah uh polytheism is still very active today yeah absolutely in fact a lot of muslims believe christians are polytheists because we believe in a trinity Huh. And I'm not getting into the Trinity today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so I might have to skip any that don't. don't I mean, I, I believe it. I can't explain it thoroughly. I'd have to sit down and look at it again. Yeah, well, I mean, there's guys that there's biblical scholars that that's all they do for their entire careers. Yeah, yeah. So. All right. Well, how about Arianism? How about it? All right. Arianism is a belief that Jesus was the Son of God who was begotten by God the Father at a point in time. Who's, but he's a creature distinct from the Father and is therefore subordinate to him. Hmm. But he, but the Son is also God. So, yeah, it, it sounds like modalism almost a little bit. Yeah. Um. So uh, this emerged out of the Roman Empire, um, and mm-hmm. it's for pretty early, three like two late two hundreds, early three hundreds. Yeah. Um, and it looks like Constantine was the guy who kind of like allowed this to kind of be pushed through this Arian heresy. This is actually one of, when they had the Council of Nicaea, this is one of the things that they sorted out. This is why St. Nicholas, uh, oh, yeah, Santa, yeah, yeah. slapped He Arian, punched him in the face. Or yeah. punched him in the face. Yeah, it got a little heated there in the old Council of Nicaea. So if anyone thinks that Christians can't be tough, we can be tough yeah. with our own doctrines. Heck yeah, man, you, you heretic, come on over here, let me slap you. <laughs> grab you. Grab you by your beard and Put you in the face. Put my knee in your face, you heretic. Yeah. Um, maybe that's what some people have to do, like guys like Joel Osteen. Just go grab him and punch, <laughs> punch him. him in the face. Just punch him. You can't say that you're advocating violence. Oh, dude, I found the most amazing Twitter feed. Uh, you guys got to check. It, it's called uh, August August Olstein. Okay. And, and and it's it's like they take quotes from Joel Osteen and quotes from Augustine, and, mix them together. and they put they literally like half of it. So it's like uh, it's like uh, today. It'll be like, you know, um, today's going to be a great day, and it all depends on you if you don't get fed to the lions and reject Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff like that, you know. It's like they meld these, like, awesome quotes from Augustine and Joel Osteen. uh, That's awesome. It's genius. I wish I would have thought of that Twitter Twitter handle. Yeah. Or Twitter idea. I'd probably be, I'd probably have more than five followers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, anyways... um, uh, so, uh, one of the first 
really ones that they really uh, uh, one of the first ones that they actually really came across was this Arianism. And I don't, I'm not positive about this, so maybe you know about this, but I know that in World War II, that was a big deal. Aryan, the Aryan race, this race of people that was blonde haired, blue eyed. Yeah, I uh, think that they did come out of it. So that, so that emerged. Sort of, I, that, yeah, I don't know enough to speak on it right now. Yeah. But I think that is some of it. Yeah. And Athanasius was another guy that was uh, one of the one of the perpetrators of that. Right, and he was exiled to Germany. So that's why a lot of it oh, came there. there yeah. you go. All right. So anyways, so what do you ta- say about the biblical stance? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of these... So what I'm discovering is that a um, majority of your heresies are going to attack one of three things. They're going to attack the person of Jesus Christ, the Godhead of Jesus Christ, or the Trinity in some level. Um, that's pretty much where they revolve around. That's mm-hmm. where they're going to get off. And it it makes sense because those are the most important um, you know, aspects of our faith. Because if Jesus isn't fully man, fully God, then Paul said to ourself, he says, if he didn't, if this didn't happen the way God wanted, then we're, we're, our faith's futile. Right. Like we should be pitied above all men and women. So I think, you know, I think that there's a, uh, you got to understand what they're attacking and understand what the revealed truth is. The beauty that we have, which I would, I'm sure that the guys that are in heaven and, and here's the debate, like, I don't know, some of these heretics might have made it to heaven, mm-hmm. even though they didn't believe, because nobody has perfect theology. That's the one thing that we always forget is that, yeah, we can point out somebody's wrong, but nobody has it perfect. The only one who had it perfect was Jesus. And even the apostles, you know, Paul and John and Peter, these guys that were giving us our early church writings, um, they wrote things inspired by the Holy Spirit in a way that was used by God, and it was accumulated. So when you read, like for instance, there, like when you read First and Second Corinthians, those are letters written. We extract out of those writings things that God embedded into those writings that are true doctrines. Mm-hmm. We don't even know if Paul necessarily fully understood everything that he was right, writing. Out. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know that sounds so weird, and almost you know. Uh, it's maybe heretical to say that because a lot of people like to believe that when these writers were getting this inspiration that they went into like some kind of trance or uh, they, you know, as the Holy Spirit gave them unction, he would just like, all right, write this down. It, it wasn't quite like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that uh, <laughs> we probably need to like help the church understand what is inspirational writing? What is, how did it come about in these things? Because some of those things, people have just bizarre beliefs. Yeah. You know, like I've talked to people, they said, oh, yeah. I mean, maybe the only book that you could probably say had had some of this out there to it was the book of Revelation, because it says that John was caught up mm-hmm. and he was told to write these things down by an angel. Right. Anyone else that you know in the world that says an angel told me to write this down, it's a cult. <laughs> you know, you got Islam, you got Mormonism, right? Yeah. Uh, seriously. Uh, but what did John do? When you read the book of Revelation, it literally, it dovetails perfectly with what Jesus said and what was happening and all this, you know, it, it literally lined up perfectly with already revealed truth. Mm-hmm. So, and even things that like Jesus would say in like Matthew, Matthew 24, for instance, um, huge end times 
Jesus kind of spells out stuff, and you see these things in Revelation kind of, they're worded again, you know, they're spoken of again. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I answered Arianism at all, but... Well, how about you touch on this, and I'll... Because there's a couple that touch on this, like uh, subordinationism. So basically the idea, so is Jesus on... I'll just ask it like this. Is Jesus on the same level, or is he subordinate to God? Does he have the same power, or does he not? Or where... Yeah. So how would you answer that? All right, so th- this is the answer to that. So he he has submitted himself to the will of the Father. He did that on earth. Mm-hmm. In his obedience, everything was given to him. He now reigns superior over everything as God. He's equal with God. So, And he always was, by the way. Uh, he's not a created. He's not created. He's uncreated. He entered into humanity. Um, he created all things. Colossians says he created all things for his own glory. He holds all things together. So according to Paul from the book of Colossians, Jesus preexisted creation, created everything, and is keeping it all going. And we're told that the earth is his footstool, and that was given to him in authority through the will of the Father. Mm-hmm. And the will of the Father, <laughs> this is the crazy thing. It, Hebrews tells us that he's the image, no, uh, Colossians again tells us he's the image of the invisible God. So there is this Godhead, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son. <laughs> We're going to get into this. I don't want to get into it because I'm not studied up on it. But I'll just just a cliff note. Keep it basic. Yeah. In essence, Jesus preexists creation, and He rules over all creation. And He had submitted Himself as the Son of God to the will of the Father to give His life up, so that. God could redeem humanity. Hmm. It's all the purposes of God. It was the plan of God. In fact, Revelation chapter 3 says that it's the Lamb of God who was slain. No, uh, 14 says that he was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the earth. In other words, in his preexistence of all creation and his complete sovereignty, he already knew what was going to happen, and he had already submitted himself to, to dying for our sins, for your sins, for the sake of redemption before the foundations of the earth. In other words... Before he created, he knew it was going to happen. This is why we. This is why when we pray to God, we can have so much great faith. He pre-existed all of creation and knows every detail about it in His awesome sovereignty. How can you not worship a God like that? Mm-hmm. How can you not trust a God like that? He already had moved the mountain that we needed moved before I was ever created. And this is why, again, I'm going to say this because I want all of our listeners to understand this. This is more important than anything else that we've talked about tonight because it's dealing with our culture, and this is the whole issue of pro-life, and this is where it ties in. We are known by God before we reach the planet Earth and are, are uh, you know, a known person on mm-hmm. Earth, because it says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And so what happens is you have this pre-existing God with this knowledge of you're going to exist. There's a plan for you before you ever came about. And so this is why pro-life has Christians have to be pro-life in every situation. There's not a there's not a situation you can't because we don't have that ability to say. And I was no. going to say again to say it, not just pro-life in the sense of, oh maybe four weeks or something like that. It's not it's not even up to conception. It's pre-conception. Pre-conception, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's if you want to be really pro-life, you got to be pre-conception. Yeah. Because God. God knew he said it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, 
Um, and what were we talking about? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you were talking about subordinationism. Is that what that was? Yeah, it's another one that's similar to the... Yeah. So we can just... I do want to talk about modalism for a minute. Okay, go ahead. Because this is a very confused... This is one that is still... It's found in a whole lot of charismatic churches. And um, and base, the basics of modalism as I know it... I can read it out right here. Sure, go ahead. A modalist views God as one person instead of three persons and believes that the Father, Son, and Spirit are simply different modes or forms of the same divine person. Yeah. Um, according to modalism, God can switch among the three different manifestations. Um, a monarchian believes that the unity of God uh, to the point that he denies God's trying nature. So there you go. Yeah. So you're going to find this in... Uh, oneness Pentecostal churches today, and this is what they believe. They believe that there was a three modes that God. So you had God the Father, that that was one mode of God. Then He sends God the Son, and so He takes the form of Jesus, and He's no longer God the Father in heaven. He's Jesus now. Jesus gives His life, and then He sends the Holy Spirit, and this Holy Spirit is now the third mode of God. And so each each one is God, but they're not coexisting. And the Trinity believes that they coexist. So they're all e- distinct and unique, but they it coexist. And it's not just an expression of God. The Holy Spirit is God. It's Jesus isn't isn't a form of God. He is the son of God. He is God. The heavenly Father isn't just the the big godfather in the sky ruling everything. He literally is equal with the Holy Spirit and Jesus in Godhead and unique and distinct in 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 his I don't I don't know what I don't want revelation. I don't know what how to personalities. Just, yeah, his personality. That's that's a great great way to put it. And so it's not a modalist view that we have. And and the the Pentecostalists believe this Guys like T.D. Jakes, this is something he believes. That's a It's an outright heresy because we're actually told how to pray and through the through the Holy Spirit to pray to the Son of God. You can pray to the Holy Spirit. You can pray to him. I mean, he's God. He's not going to say, I ought to reject your prayers. Let's got to pray this way. You know, it's not, not, he doesn't work that way. But what it is is it's a mutual glorification process. This is how I've discovered it to be. Jesus glorifies the Father. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. And, and Jesus, so everybody's pointing back up, right? And so the whole point is when the Holy Spirit works in a believer's life, what is he going to do? He's going to bring glory to the Father. He's going to honor the Son. You're going to please Jesus. You're going to obey the words of Christ. You're going to, you know, John 1, 1, he was, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So when we read our Bibles, we're reading Jesus. It's his and heart. Isn't it the Word became flesh? Yeah, and yeah. dwelt among us. And so when we... The Holy Spirit will keep us in obedience to God's word, which is Jesus, which will glorify the Father. So it's a it's a mutual glorification process that happens. And when you break it down to modalism, you're you're pulling away the co the pre existing and all of that other stuff. And you can't read through Book of Colossians and see that He's in all things and holds all things together if it's only the Holy Spirit today. Mm-hmm. Unless you twist it and say, Well, that's the Holy Spirit they're speaking of. But it's not because it says He's the envision the Jesus is the image of the invisible God, so it's a linked scripture. You have to you have to keep them connected. So it bugs me. That one really bugs me. Yeah, because it's the fullness of God. 
that we receive. You're trying to put them in a box. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it It's a weird box thing that they're doing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, and Paul just destroyed that. So to, for anyone to read through the, through the New Testament with integrity, you're going to see these things and, and think about them and you're not going to be able to attain and hold on to that. All right. I got one that I want to get to. Okay. Marcionism. Marcionism. Yeah. I don't even know what that is. <gasps> you don't? No, I've never okay. heard of it. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me... So basically, it's... Oh, it's an early one, 144. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the... Um, they reject the Old Testament and say that it's a, basically a different God. Mm. And almost to the point that the old... Yeah, they threw out Marcion's canon, uh, which was possibly, it says, the most the, the first Christian canon ever compiled. Mm. Consisted of 11 books, a gospel, which consisted of 10 sections drawn from the Gospel of Luke, and the 10 Pauline epistles. So it didn't, uh, rejected the Old Testament, all the epistles and the apostles, <laughs> all the other ones. And uh, it, it's similar to Gnosticism, but basically... The wrath you the wrath you the wrathful Hebrew God was a separate and lower entity from the all fulfilling God of the New Testament. Hmm. So different God, lower they use the term demiurge. Demiurge. So, That's a yeah. weird name, huh? So the Old Testament God, New Testament God, are they two separate? No. Uh, all right, so <laughs> let me ask you a question. So this is how you counteract this, because th- there's actually a movement of this happening today. I heard a very prominent preacher, yeah. known preacher, he says, we have to disconnect from the Old Testament. We have to unhitch from the Old Testament. And I know what he meant, but he's really skirting on her- a heretical teaching there. The purpose of Jesus dying on the cross was to satisfy, he was the propitiation, was to satisfy the holiness of God that was required by mankind that we could never achieve. The God of the Old Testament is a is the revealed Heavenly Father in the Ten Commandments. His holiness is revealed. And what's happened is he's we're told in the New Testament that the law was given to reveal the holiness of God so that we would know what we can and can't do. And anybody just it's like like I've always say, you, you can see a speed limit sign us it won't keep you from speeding. And Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. He says the law isn't going to keep you from sinning, and there's a deeper work that has to happen. And the the holiness of God is represented through the law. The Old Testament was given through Moses, or the law was given through Moses in the Old Testament. And, and so what happens is Jesus actually takes upon the wrath of God, that wrathful Old Testament God that these people believe God was. God provides for himself a sacrifice because he loves us so much and he's long-suffering so much that he doesn't want us to be separated from him and he puts his holiness the wrath the judgment that's going to happen on his son jesus so here you, you have to marry the old and new testament mm-hmm. you, you can't unhitch it you can't separate them god would appear to be wrathful and i've heard people say this well the god of the old testament is mean and you know he's always hurting you know one killing people like what about when joshua had to go kill all the you know all the you know 
the the tribes and every nephilim yeah no for real (laughs) like we got an answer for that you know and and sadly it's not being taught in churches today but the truth is is that the reason god wanted to extinguish all those you know exterminate all of those tribes and all of those those people is because they were absolutely evil and beyond redemption because they were probably nephilim half hybrids or whatever you want to call it the result of genesis chapter 6 with the sons of god and the women of men and they had taken over the Levant, and they were instructed to kill. And they even practiced husbandry. Animal husbandry. Animal husbandry, which is why God would instruct them to kill not only the people, but the animals. And it wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a wrathful, vengeful thing. It was a necessary thing because, number one, they couldn't make it to heaven anyways. They weren't redeemable. I know that people are getting rocked right now listening <laughs> to this, but we'll, we, we will do a Genesis 6 podcast and and unpack this more fully and hopefully maybe someday we can get our you know our hero dr heiser on here (laughs) on the podcast i'm trying to work on that but the truth is is that what god was doing in those moments it would appear if you don't understand all of the facts and so it comes across as he's wrathful he's evil he's vengeance all this leviticus the book of leviticus is all about the the required sacrifices that God has for proper worship. That's what it is. Leviticus is, this is the, you know, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, they both unpack all of that for us. And we know from the law, we can't satisfy what God's requirements for holiness is. So he then provides Jesus because he's long-suffering, loving, he's going to put it on Jesus. So this is why that whole Marconianism or whatever it's called, Marcionism, Marcionism, it's not going to happen it's not it's not a proper understanding of the fullness of god it's it's called an old covenant and a new covenant it's not you know we think you know we name it testaments the old testament new testament uh, it's a it's a covenant and god had an, an old covenant with mankind and it was through works and it was through personal holiness and it was own righteousness and remember uh he says in the book of hebrews he says the old has become obsolete and it's literally disappearing, and the new is here. He's talking about the relationship with Christ, and he says Abraham was actually the example that we have of what it looks like to live in the new covenant, which is a covenant that is lived out by faith. Take God at His word, trust Him in what He says, live, you know, take action based on what He says, and that's what that's why you need the old covenant and the new covenant because the new covenant now replaces the old covenant, and so it's not a it's not an unhitching. And it's, it's almost like diminishing what Jesus did again. Right. If you don't have the old. Exactly. And Jesus, when Jesus rose from the dead, um, one of the first things he did in the road to Emmaus, um, yeah, the, the yeah, I don't know, the road to Emmaus, he sits down, he walks along the road to Emmaus, and there's these two people there, and it says that he opened up the scriptures, uh, beginning with the law and the prophets, and everything pertaining to him. He, he explained everything pertaining to him. He explained to them everything pertaining to him. I don't know the wording. Just go back and look at it. It's in it's in uh, Luke. But so the road to Emmaus, he he takes the Old Testament and he's point. He's showing them, hey, this has to do with the Son of God. This has to do with Messiah. This you know verses like Psalm twenty two uh, or Isaiah. Um, and he probably unpacked all these. He did a Bible study with them, which is amazing. <laughs> you know, and he everything revealing him in the Old Testament. And you got to remember too. This is why it's important too. The Old Testament is important. 
the early church only had the Old Testament. Right. They were the early church in the book of Acts, they were proving Jesus to be God from the Old Testament scriptures. We don't have that we don't nobody has that skill anymore. We've just we just talk about Jesus being God and we use the New Testament, but I would love for Christians to begin to unpack the Old Testament and find all of the hidden verses and promises of Jesus being Messiah so that they could actually back, you know, marry those two together and and do that. Yeah. There's 500 and no 386 scripture uh, pr- prophecies for his first coming. And he fulfilled all of them. All of them. And the statistical yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's impossible. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. He must be God. So, how about uh, we'll do this one, and we can hit Gnosticism after this. Oh, okay. All right. Pelagian, Pelagian, Pelagianism? Pelagianism. Oh, yeah. I was called a semi-Pelagianist once. Really? Yeah. <laughs> By a friend of no less. <laughs> well, here. How about it was named after a monk in the late 300s and early 400s. Uh, basically, he rejected the biblical concept of grace. Uh, so I, th- I think this is the one that they didn't have any of his writings anymore. So we know about this from like Augustine writing Mm -hmm. about him and condemning it. So according to his opponents, Pelagius taught that moral perfection was attainable in this life without the assistance of divine grace through human free will. Hmm. Augustine contradicted this by saying that perfection is impossible without grace because we were born sinners without a sinful, with a sinful heart and will. Uh, the Pelagians charged Augustine with departing from the accepted teaching uh, of the apostles in the Bible, demonstrating that the doctrine of original sin amar- amounted to something else, which taught that the flesh was in itself sinful and thus denied that Jesus came in the flesh. So it kind of gets uh, goes back to doing another one. You know, it makes up, kind of gives credence to another view that they had. Yeah. And it said, uh, he kind of came up with this. It said, when people sinned, Pelagius grew weary of the hear- of hearing the excuse, I can't help it. It's in my nature to do wrong. To counter that excuse, Pelagius stressed the freedom of the human will, essentially teaching that all sin is the result of a conscious choice of evil over good. Everyone has the ability to freely choose to do good all the time. And since there is no such thing as original sin or an inherited sin nature, mm. then we cannot blame Adam. God created this good, so no one, so no one ever has an excuse for sinning. If you're not living a holy life, it's because you're not trying hard enough. So basically, he just got super pissed off and was like, <laughs> "You guys are all sinning all the time, and you just say I can't help it, but you can't help it." I mean, they were literally echoing what Paul said. I always do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. Oh. God, this body of death that is within me, yeah. right? It, it, Paul cried out that this this is exactly the dilemma of every Christian. When you know that God has a standard of holiness, and you know that you have a sinful nature because everything that's right you don't want to do, and you want to do what's wrong, like you, it's like a stark, like sobering moment for a Christian, and it's actually a moment of growth when people come to that realization. It's amazing to me how many people want to forego the grace of God and try and live in holiness based on their own effort. Literally, there's an entire Christian denomination, well, some would not even call them Christian, called Catholicism, that falls in this category. No, it's like adopted Judaism. 
It's like we changed it just enough. We put Jesus on top of it, but it still depends on a priestly forgiveness. It still depends on works of men, righteousness of your own, things that are are impossible to please God with, and it minimizes the sacrifice of Christ on the cross because that was given because we can't. And I, you know, Pelagian, Pelagian had the right heart behind it. He wanted to see people become saved. He wanted to see people become holy. He wanted to see them emulate the life of Christ. The problem is, is that he's not doing it, he's not approaching it the right way. Mm-hmm. Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that if you want to please God, you have to do this through the Holy Spirit. The only way to please God is through the Spirit. The Spirit empowers a believer and and works in a believer's life where they're not strong enough, he's stronger. Where they're weak, he's strong. All these things like he the Holy Spirit is the secret key that God's given to every believer to live a holy life. Because the truth is is when you accept Christ and you're forgiven for all your sins, the 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 rule of sin over a, a believer is broken and you're actually a new creation where that sin nature that rules over you is actually defeated. And you have a new nature, you have a new mind. And that's why we always have a choice. We have a choice to walk in newness or choose our old way of living. And one is the flesh and one is the spirit. One gratifies the sin and one gratifies holiness. And it's, you know, there it's a constant battle. It's the battle within. And um and so that's how that if and I you know, three hundred, I don't know when Romans was written, but obviously we know this now. <laughs> and it doesn't let anybody off the hook. That's the craziest thing about it. Yeah. Because Paul says you can actually abuse the grace of God. And you can and go, well, God's going to forgive me, so I'm, I might as well just do it. I mean, every every young engaged or dating couple is they've had, they've that's crossed their mind yeah. if they've gotten too close. Um, and and the truth is is that God will forgive them, but you don't want to get in the habit of abusing God's grace. Um, it really, you know, the fact that I was called a, a semi-Pelagianist, it had to do not with living a sinless life. It had to do with the cooperation of God in the in soteriology and salvation. Oh. And coming to faith. Yeah. So like I I <laughs> I made the statement that God's given mankind free will. And because he's given mankind free will, you can accept or reject the offer of salvation. It happens all the time. Every time the gospel's preached, someone receives or rejects. I mean, it's only two responses that you can have to it. There's no middle ground. Uh, response. There is a middle ground theology, which I'm excited <laughs> about. But uh, but I because I I said I, you know people can reject the offer of salvation. He says, oh, so you get to decide when you're saved or not. So you have a part in this um, because uh, certain certain theological stances lean into the fact that when you're not saved, you're what they would call dead in your sins, and because you're dead in your sins, you have no ability to call out to God. And so they actually overextend the definition of dead in your sins to to not even have the ability to call out on God. Um, and I just don't believe that. I believe that the Holy Spirit quickens a person, whether they're dead in their sins or not. Okay, if so, so let's just use an example. They're dead in their sins. The Holy Spirit quickens that person as because the, the gospel, the, the word of God is called living and active. When you share the gospel, you're sharing the living, active word of God. And so it breathes, brings life in that moment. And so that person's spirit that is dead within them is given the moment of life when they hear the gospel. They still have the opportunity to reject that. Mm-hmm. And it's not cooperating with God by saying, oh, I receive it. 
It's just receiving it by faith. It's not a faith isn't a work, right? Faith, yeah. faith isn't a work, and so it's an impossibility to say that I that I helped God save me. It's an, it's not even a reality, right. and so it's a weird. I know they're like, yeah, that's what we keep saying, but they're not saying it the same way I'm saying it, and yeah, it, yeah. that makes a big difference. And so I reject my semi-Pelagianist <laughs> uh, name calling there. You, you Calvinist, you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love I love my friends. I love my brothers in Calvinism greatly. Yes, they me too. they know that too. Yeah, they know that. Okay, let's. Right, where are we uh, going? Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Are we in the G's now? Yeah. Uh, so I've been skipping around. By the way, a lot they, of them are. I want to tell you something. Thanks for putting this together, this document that you gave yeah, me, man. this 19-page document. Uh, I wish they had page number. There it is, Gnosticism. Oh, boy. Yeah, even though I made a 19-page document, he's still complaining about page numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you a compliment. Look, I did it the way you're, It's a sandwich. Compliment, criticism, compliment. <laughs> That's how you're supposed to do okay, it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Gnosticism is a modern name for a variety of ancient religious ideas and systems originating in the Jewish Christian milieu in the first and second century AD. These systems believe that the material world is created by an emanation. I, wow, I can't. I, I am having trouble with my vocabulary today. By an emanation of works of a lower god, which they call the Demiurge trapping the divine spark within the human body. Mm. This divine spark could be liberated by gnosis, which is spiritual knowledge acquired through direct experience. Um, here's some of the tier, the core teachings. All matter is evil and the non-material spirit realm is good. And that's absolute. Everything that's spiritual is good. Everything that's matter is bad. Right. Even Satan. Yeah. We just understood, man. Yeah. <laughs> He's a misunderstood spirit. Yeah. Uh, there is an unknowable God who gave rise to many lesser beings called eons. The creator of the material universe is not the supreme God, but the inferior spirit, the Demiurge. So that was what I was referring to with... Uh, Wasn't the Demiurge in like... Uh, the, what was that that show that came on Netflix the with the kids and all? Remember? Stranger Things? Yeah. Wasn't, oh, I don't know. I didn't watch it, it. Wasn't you haven't watched Stranger Things? No. What? You need to remedy that today. Okay. You need to go watch both seasons or what? How many there are? <laughs> it's amazing. I know. I've heard. I've heard of. Is I it a like demi? It. Is it a demi or what's demi gorgon? Demi Never mind. I was wrong. Demi gorgon. You got the prefix right. He's got the demi. Yeah. Demi Moore. <laughs> <laughs> she was. She was married to Bruce Willis. She became a demi Morgan. <laughs> I don't know. I got a funny story about Bruce Willis. Like <laughs> Do you? Yeah. Uh, Gnosticism. So here's another uh, core teaching. Gnosticism does not deal with sin, only ignorance. Mm. And to achieve uh, to achieve salvation, one only needs gnosis. And gnosis is knowledge. Secret knowledge. Yeah. So Gnosticism is basically this idea that um, it's mysticism or esoteric uh, thought, which is hidden, hidden knowledge, you know, so they're, they'll read, uh, this is just like another thing that is still, there's a lot of Gnosticism in, oh, yeah. in churches today too, that they teach, um, in a lot of different religions like new age. Well, for forty nine ninety nine, you can, <laughs> you can mail it in and I will give you some of my secret knowledge. Yeah. 
uh, <laughs> how to cook an egg. <laughs> how to cook an egg. I got it. Yeah, never mind. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like whenever you hear something or you read something, because um, I've read stuff and then like halfway through it, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that this was, oh, is this what it actually meant in the real Hebrew? And all of a sudden it's like, oh no, that's Gnosticism. That's like some weird stuff. But like, so they'll say like, this is what Paul, you know, this is what Paul wrote. Yeah. Um, but this is what he really meant. So there's two meanings to basically everything. So it's, you know, um, like they used the, uh, I can't think of the term right now. When Jesus gives examples or stories, parables, you know, how there's a, uh, They'll say, you know, there's the actual parable itself that has one meaning. Right. And then there's a spiritual meaning right. beneath it. Yeah. So. Which is true. And they're like, you, there's Gnosticism is so crazy because you can get into the gospel of Thomas and all these other Gnostic texts that basically say stuff like this. Yeah. Where they're, um, you know, there's secret teachings that, you know, there's one, there, there's this idea is also Gnosticism that Jesus preach to everybody one kind of thing um, or idea and then secretly he told the apostles like this is what's really going down you know this is a real <laughs> stuff that I'm not going to tell all these plebs you know like all these <laughs> other people you're going to get the real deal and then you can only tell it to secret uh, initiated stuff I mean they use terms like this initiated and that's where you get all kind of secret society stuff um, that'd be a good podcast yeah, yeah, it would. Societies. Um, but yeah, so that's the idea that there's this secret stuff. And like I think it's the Gospel of Thomas actually talks about reincarnation. Oh, really? Yeah. So, and I think What the, are you reading those things for, man? I, Come you know on. What? You got to know the enemy. Uh, yeah, right. Just like when I read other books of right. quote-unquote spiritual right. knowledge. So You got to know what they're... You got to know what they know. Gnosticism is interesting because you're right. It's still it's still very present in our culture today, and um, one of the things that it does that bothers me the most is that it it uh, it creates a false dichotomy of what reality is. Um, you, it's because what they do is they say we well, have spirit and matter, and, and it's creating this like weird thing. You have God who created everything, and everything's below Him, and so there. And, and it's literally been revealed. Like, open up the Bible to Genesis chapter 1, and the first thing you see is God, and then he makes creation, mm-hmm. right? So there's no real confusion about that. But what it does is it minimizes some of those things, and it twists some of those things, and it pulls people away from the real truth. And so that's why it's still so dangerous. And we see this, like today, like I will use an example that people won't like, but look, it's just true. Yoga. Yoga is a spiritual practice. Most people don't believe, understand this, but just go start Googling origins of yoga, where it comes from, how they made it, what was the purpose. Yoga was actually a, it was a, uh, a uh, uh, idolatry, and it was the, the, the movements and the phrases were all designed to bring a person into spiritual oneness with this deity, this false yeah, god. Brahman. Yeah. And when... It's Hindu. Hindu was yeah, that what I said? Yeah, okay. it's Hinduism. Yeah. So what? But what? The reason why I'm bringing that up is because there's people that say, "Oh, I can do Christian yoga, quote unquote Christian," but I'm not. I'm meditating on God and His good word, and all, and there's truth to that. You could be, but there literally is physical 
movements that are designed with the purpose of bringing a person closer to this false god. This false god is a demon or a or or fallen angel of some sort. Um, it's a it's an Elohim, you know, is what the what yeah. the, the the Hebrew Old Testament would call him an Elohim. And this fallen deity, because that's what he is. I, I say deity because he's, you know, he, he's greater than a human, lesser than God. He's in this weird middle middle. He's place. an angel, a fallen angel. Possibly. Just I mean, angels are. Think of it like that way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we'll just say fallen angel. Okay. It's it's kind of oversimplified, but anyways, he he literally has designed techniques to bring people closer to him in a spiritual sense without them even being aware of it yeah and so but my whole point in connecting this to gnosticism is is that people say oh i can do yoga it it enlightens me it brings me it brings me closer to god it opens me up yeah right i I was gonna say like what i was gonna i could rail on christian yoga yeah yeah quote unquote forever (laughs) but i was gonna say like one thing i heard put very succinctly that is good like you go to a, uh, like I, I had knee surgery. And so I went to go to a physical therapist to do stuff. Yeah. Or someone hurts their back or something like that. And they go to physical therapy. They may use certain positions because it's good at. Yeah. Like move. There's no, like you, if you're a Christian, you can't, it's not like, oh, I can't stretch. You know what I mean? There's like. They, I can't, but technically, yeah. I, technically yeah. I could. Yeah. Like, Hindu, like, okay. Hindus don't have the monopoly on like going down like arching your back up you know just because it's called downward dog if you're doing it because you got a bad back right right and you're just doing it as a physical movement because it helps reel on your spine or whatever you sound like these christians that do yoga i know yeah (laughs) i'm just kidding you but you can do that but there's a difference because yoga also has the physical part which absolutely does stuff with your brain but there's also the breathing element which is really important that a lot of people don't yes may not think about and I don't even know exactly where I stand when they say like comp- contemplative prayer or like stuff like that. And I, we don't have to go into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like one of the things about yoga is that you focus when they call them, like you do like an ohm or a, uh, you basically uh, think and focus your mind on things that are nonsense. Like when, like if you do yoga, you just go om om, yeah. and you say like you make a sound that has no meaning, that has absolutely no meaning, other than to clear your mind and focus on this thing, so that you can. And the whole purpose of doing that is to clear your mind, so you can attain a higher level of consciousness. Wherefore, you can um, exist and like reach out and get. Uh, to reach these uh, you raise your consciousness they say so you can into the spiritual realm and be more open and i like what you said about you know to open your mind more and stuff like that like what are you opening it up to especially and you go through (laughs) there's all kind of crazy hindu gods that are all like they have crazy demon stuff that people get they they talk about like look into hindu uh possession there's crazy they have like three 300,000 gods or yeah, something like that? it's crazy. But a lot of them are not good. Yeah. Even within well, their own thing. None of them. I would well, say yeah, none yeah. of them are good. Yeah. Yeah. But the whole thing is like, so if you're a Christian, you want to open your mind up, why do you, to what? Right. Like everything's here. Um, you know, I heard this quote is, you know, an open mind's only good until you close it on something. 
you know? So I heard open minds are like parachutes. They only work once they're open. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, but like, I saw that on a poster at a school or something, a library or something like that. Is that that's our public education <laughs> right, system. Right, exactly. Teaching them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the whole thing is why are you, you know, there's not, you, you know, I can't remember who said it, if it was Peter or Paul, where he said, you know, we're given every part of our body to like, let us sit and reason. You know, we're not supposed to, we're supposed to engage our minds. We're not supposed to turn them off. Right. That's, it's, I would say it's unbiblical to like sit there and just focus on nothing, trying to clear your mind to get, yeah. to get a higher level of consciousness. And that's why they do yoga. Right. It's all to get this oneness. And I think it's called Brahman, this oneness with everything. And it's just evil. Don't do it. That's yeah. it. I'm sorry. I'm railing on. No, no, man. And and that so that dualism is still existing today because we, you know, like we have shows on on discovery like Ghost Hunters, and so what they're doing is they're they're literally adopting a spiritual realm that's around us, and they're not identifying it as the evil that it is, mm-hmm. and and truly that it is. And um, but I love this First John one, and this is like the perfect kind of uh, verse to kind of counteract this Gnostic yeah. dualistic kind of weird belief. This is what John says, First John 1, 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we, re- we proclaimed concerning the Word of Life, capital W. And then it goes on to say, The life appeared, we have seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you, what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So they literally talk about secret knowledge. Nothing's hidden. They're mm-hmm. like, we're giving you everything that we saw, we heard, we touched him. We're telling you everything so that you can know the living God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and our joy will be made complete. In other words, we're not hiding anything from you, and our joy is made complete when you completely embrace all of that. This whole idea of secret knowledge, something's hidden that we have to attain and we have to get it, and then it's just it it appeals to your like personal like greed and insecurities and yeah. I mean, it, it's, I want to be the guru. Yeah, and you you're know? like you 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 feel kind of special because you're in on like the see you know like I I know yeah about all this stuff. So well, it, they it's call super it appealing, enlightened, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and it's man's way. We do this all the time. We take the the person that's, you know, gifted, can either he's charismatic or she's, you know, whatever, and we put them up on this thing and then we're like, "Oh, we got to achieve that." And they and, and this is all it's all human nature mm-hmm. to do that, right? That's kind of just what we do. And it, literally everything was leveled for humanity when Christ came. He's the only one. <laughs> he's the only one that's up there. And uh and so everything's leveled. And, uh, you know, he did have apostles that had a superior calling for a limited time to to bring the revelation of just what First John was they're saying. They're still there. men. Like, yeah, absolutely. S- super normal guys. Well, what apostle? If he was, in, these are literally super apostles. He said, I always do what I don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's crying out like two chapters later of like, I would give my life for my brothers so that they could know Christ, the Jews. You know, he's like, I would exchange my salvation for theirs, cause, you know, so that they could have it. Like, give it up. Um, like, that's humanity. That's like he's showing his humanity mm-hmm. in those moments. and uh, But it's transformed from the inside out. That's the real secret. And like, 
it's frustrating as a believer when you're around people that don't get that and understand it and don't want it. Like the life that's given to you, mm-hmm. the joy, the peace, the, everything that you're looking for in these yogas and these things, you know, that secrets, it's literally given to you in Christ, everything that you're looking for. So I just, you know, I, I was kind of preachy tonight, wasn't I? Yeah, it was good though. I wonder if I should even preach a sermon tomorrow. Maybe. <laughs> But uh, so is there any more you want to go over these little? No, I mean, they're all a, a lot of the other ones are little. Um, oh, here we can do this one. This will be fun. OK. Donatism. Donuts. I like donuts. <laughs> yeah. So it began in North Africa and it taught that Christians were called to aestheticism and personal purity mm. that holy and that holiness was proved in, our, in one's faithfulness and ending persecution. Those whose faith wavered under the threat of death were impure and not worthy of being members of the church. Um, yeah, so this took place under the Roman persecution of the church. Yeah, this actually gave way to a huge issue with, in the early church that I read about. Um, a lot of believers, there was, you know, so um, 120 in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. Uh, by the time you get to Acts chapter 14 or so literally the whole well acts chapter 220 to then 3000 then there's a whole nother 5000 like the in two chapters later because peter preaches at the at pentecost and then like thousands get saved and then there's so it's like like in the city there's like fifteen thousand within like a month yeah um there's 28 chapters in acts that's about it covers about 30 years of history by the time you get there it's literally Christianity spread like wildfire throughout, you know, what was happening though. So it, was, it wasn't, there was a lot of believers, but a lot of these believers were all over the place where they believed and what, how they came to faith and all that. And when the, when the persecution came, a lot of believers for self-reliant or for self-preservation would deny Christ and survive to, you know, so that they could live. Mm-hmm. And the early then once the persecutions died down, it was like it took about 20, 15 years or so, ten years, for it all to kind of shake out. Um, then they started coming back to the church, and the church was like, uh, "No, you denied Christ. You renounced Christ for your own safety. Why? Why would we let you in? You know." And this was a big issue. Like, do we let these people who had, you know, walked away, come back into the fold of the family of God? And were they ever in the family of God? And all this. And uh, that was a big dilemma. And actually, grace was the application for those people. We're gonna, we're not saved by our works. We can't lose our salvation by our lack of good works. Right. Faithful, you know, our faithfulness, our faithlessness. And the, and Paul said clearly in Corinthians, he says, he says that, um, he says, when I'm faithful, you're faithful. When I'm faithless. You're even more faithful, and uh, you know it's. I love that because there's moments in every person's life where they don't walk in complete faith and obedience and trust, and they. It has to be bigger than us. It has to be. So that to me, for like for this docetism, docetism or whatever, um, you're talking about people proving out their faith by their behavior, and yeah, there is a side of this that's true. There, you'll know a believer by their fruit. Like Jesus said, you'll you'll know a tree by its fruit, but not all the time. And fruit takes time. Yeah. Like I mean, you know, a, an orchard doesn't grow and start bearing fruit within the one year. It takes time for those things, and it doesn't 
was it still a tree? Yeah. Was it still growing? Yeah. Was it, does it, cause it doesn't bear fruit right now. Does it mean it's not a, it's, it's not, you know, a tree, a, like an orange tree. Yeah. No, it just takes time to bear its fruit. But once it starts bearing fruit, you'll know exactly what it is. And that's the interesting thing. So yeah, that's what I got to say about it. Cool. Done preaching. <laughs> well, this is awesome. Yeah. It's been a long, it's actually, oh, hour and 26 minutes. We, <laughs> yeah. we were, I didn't realize we were going so long. I probably preached three sermons in this thing. <laughs> um, man, it was awesome. I'm so glad you guys got to sit in on us yeah. with us here hanging out with us. Yeah. Um, maybe you guys come back again if you feel like it. Now they're never going to come back. But, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Dude, it was awesome. It was. Yeah. And uh, I just want to say thanks to all our listeners again, people that are sharing us and spreading the word. And I just ask I, my call to action once again, if you're still listening to this, is this, please subscribe and please give us a rating and review in iTunes. That helps us more than you know because um, we will remain hidden and buried in, in the over 300,000 podcasts that are available on iTunes until people start actually reviewing and rating us. And when they do that... We got a bunch last it, week. We did. We got yeah. a, I asked and they delivered. We have great, faithful friends that listen to this podcast, and I'm so grateful for that. But uh, we want to continue. We want to have more uh, more rates, more ra- more rates. <laughs> More ratings and reviews, because uh, at some point we're gonna have to like uh, make this thing fly, right? Yeah. So it's up to our listeners and God. Yes, of <laughs> course. <laughs> I mean, he could. Every, all right. <laughs> you <laughs> just super Jesus juked me on that one, man. Uh, all right, man. Well, it was a great one. Yeah. Everybody, we will catch you next time. next time. Oh, we got some good ones coming up. Really good ones. So yeah. Make sure we do. You stay stoked. Stay stoked. Stay stoked. <laughs> See ya. Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to know more, you can visit us on the web at alloutwar.us or you can find us on Twitter at alloutwarcast. Hey, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.